the Australian Defence Magazine podcast. Serving the business of defence. With Grant McHeron. Well, welcome back, folks. This is day three of the Australian International Air Show, aka Avalon, here for 2023. And it's been a really busy day once again. Lots of walking around, lots to see, lots of people to interview. We've got two interviews for you today. One is with uh, Applied Virtual Simulation and the other is with Kongsberg. Both really interesting and some great topics. And let's get stuck straight into it. Well, we're here at the show on a uh, noisy exhibition floor, but uh, Steve's working his magic, our producer, so we'll get the best quality audio we can here. Martin Carr, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Grant. Well, mate, you're from Applied Virtual Simulations. We've uh, been in discussion with you over many years. Can you please give us a, a quick background on your career and also an overview of AVS's history, uh, the markets, what they're doing with defense? Uh, so I'm the director of Applied Virtual Simulation. Um, I'm a simulation technology expert, I guess you would say. Uh, I've been working in the industry for around 12 years um, after leaving the Australian Army in around uh, 2009. Uh, I was an officer in the Australian Army. Um, AVS is a uh, training and simulation, I guess, systems integrator, you'd say. Um, we have two primary lines of business. Uh, the first of which is we're a uh, training system OEM, I guess is the best way to describe it. So, uh, in a nutshell, we produce simulators uh, and predominantly for the Australian Army. So, we've got uh, four different classes of uh, simulator in service with the Australian Army currently. Uh, and we train around uh, 2,500 soldiers a year uh, operate uh, one, of our, one of our simulators. The second business stream, we're a uh, simulation technology provider uh, to defence and to industry. And we, uh, so we provide uh, integration services, uh, software engineering services, things like that to help simulators talk to each other and talk to whatever else they need to talk to to get the training effect achieved. Yeah, that, that integration of uh, simulators is really important these days because it's not just in one room like the good old Link Racer and all that in the arcades. This is people all around the world partaking in common simulation scenarios, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And it probably is a good uh, segue to talking about Lansim Core 2.0. It is a good segue. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, Army's doing their common simulation software, the Land Simulation Core 2.0, and uh, the Tranche 1 project. So can you give us an overview of that? I guess in a, in a nutshell, Lansim Core 2.0 uh, can be characterised as the most substantial modernisation of simulation technology in the history of the Australian Army. If people ask, well, what about Lansim Core 1.0? And there was no Lansim Core <laughs> 1.0. And perhaps it's worth uh, describing the landscape um, that brought the necessity for a project like Lansim Core 2.0 to the forefront of Army's plans for their future training system. So I'm sure all listeners to the podcast know that the Australian Army uh, has been embarking on a platform acquisition uh, project. So yeah, we're getting new tank, new infantry fighting vehicle. We've got the CRV. It looks like we're getting uh, at least two new helicopters, uh, a new ISR platform under land 129 phase three. And uh, under the current state of play, Army really struggled to conduct collective training within a virtual environment, be it, be it uh, virtual or constructive simulation. And Army realised that uh, if the current state of business as usual was to persist through these major platform acquisitions, that was unlikely to change. So Lansim Core was an initiative 
uh, to get in front of a lot of these platform acquisitions and put in place uh, a, a core of common technology networks and services that would allow uh, Army's future training systems to interoperate in a way that's uh, never before been possible. Great. So really uh, giving you a lot more bang for buck on your training and things like that and more effective use of training time. 100%. Okay. So ABS, you're involved in SimCore 2.0 and you've, I understand you're also partnering with a number of other groups. So can you tell us about your involvement and how you're coordinating? Yeah, sure. So the Lansing Core 2.0 project is broken uh, into two tranches. Uh, tranche 1, uh, which we are the prime uh, for, will deliver the common simulation software. Uh, tranche 2 uh, will implement the land simulation network and deliver uh, the associated services. Uh, and that's, that's uh, yet to be awarded. So Tranche 1, we're delivering the common simulation software. Uh, and we've partnered with a number of suppliers, uh, both local and overseas. Uh, so for the technical software solution, uh, we selected uh, Mark Technologies, and we're delivering the entire Mark 1 suite uh, into, the, uh, uh, into, the, into the project. We've also partnered uh, with other uh, simulation providers such as uh, SimCentric. We're using uh, Maxar uh, to supply us with the geospatial data we need to produce um, uh, terrain yep. areas. And we've also uh, partnered with a small Melbourne uh, company called Upsurge Studios, who is a uh, basically a uh, an art studio for the gaming industry. Uh, yeah. And fr from what I understand, we're we're embarking upon one of the largest 3D modelling projects in Australian history. So rather than sending that overseas, we've uh, selected Upsurge, and uh, they've been able to expand. And uh, yeah, our, our supply chain is, is going fantastic. And yeah, it's, once you get into supply chains, it gets. Uh gets a whole new level of fun making sure that everything flows smoothly, the integration works. Um, so I imagine you've spent a bit of time on that common integration model as well, so that those uh, 3D models will work in all of the, the platforms and things like that. Yeah, that's, that's right. So we're delivering, uh, in addition to the common simulation software, we're delivering uh, the common data. And uh, that, that really means uh, models, uh, terrains and behaviours. So. Um, we're doing a couple of hundred models um, of uh, Australian platforms of our uh, training adversary, uh, as well as several uh, tens of thousands of square kilometres of terrain um, and uh, doctrinal behaviours that will allow soldiers to, to drive forces in a uh, collective training uh, simulation exercise. Excellent. So what is the status of the project? Uh, so we're, uh, we're neck deep in the acquisition. We're about a year in. Um, and uh, I think we've got about a year to go on the acquisition. So uh, things are going really well. It's our first um, as DEFCON as a, as a prime, uh, learning a lot, growing a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, the project's going uh, going really well. Yeah, those as DEFCON contracts can be pretty interesting. They are monsters to tackle <laughs> as a small business. Yeah. Oh yeah, very. So uh, okay, now whenever you're doing a, a project like this and you're bringing in people and you pretty much on the cutting edge of, of what's possible in, in these simulation environments. Things come up. You, the best laid plans, as they say, and then something comes up and so on. So are you able to tell us about any issues that have come up that weren't really foreseen and how you've dealt with them or are dealing with them? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I guess we are, we are new at the supply chain game. Um, on the training system side of the business, we've got uh, established supply chain of, of, of local partners um, that we've relied upon to contribute to our simulator projects um, and, but Lansing Core really took it to the next level um, so much larger volumes of work working with uh, both local and overseas suppliers 
So it's probably been a challenge for us uh, to become sort of fighting fit in that prime contractor role. So definitely a learning curve, um, transitioning from lower value, simpler contracts to working within the ASDEFCON framework. That's probably been uh, the principal challenge, but fortunately we've had some really great suppliers that have been really, they've been on board with the project from day one, um, and it's enabled us to work collaboratively to resolve you know, the, the problems that we have had. And, and really we've, we've had no real war stoppers, uh, and I would say full credit's got to be given to the project office over at CIOG. Uh, and the Director of Land Training Capability. Um, they've been a great, uh, a great customer, um, and we've really been able to work through you know, the inevitable problems uh, yeah. that come up uh, and, and come up with a way forward. Well, it's good to hear that uh, yeah, there are the, the various parts of defence are getting in there to help out as well. Yep. Not yep. just going, your problem, your contract. Yeah, and Lansim Corps will touch uh, you know, every acquisition project mm. that uh, is going to be delivering a simulator uh, you know, with a collective training role. So, yeah. Um, perhaps our problems are still ahead of us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a valid point. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, speaking of which, and what's ahead, what comes next on the project within Tranche 1? So we'll complete the acquisition. Uh, a year or so time, we'll move into sustainment. The software will be deployed throughout Army. It'll be provided to uh, third-party system integrators uh, that are currently building uh, simulators. So there's a, there's a couple of uh, primes, such as Thomas Global, building the Abrams simulator. Um, there are some legacy simulators uh, that will be uh, modernized onto the land sim core baseline and integrated into the land simulation network. And then as, as uh, additional platforms come online, we expect to be uh, assisting uh, the OEMs with um, achieving uh, compliance with the generic simulation architecture and getting those simulators netted in on the land simulation network. Sounds great. Now, future directions. You've mentioned Tranche 2 which is networking it all together. Yep. Can you talk a bit more about Tranche 2 and perhaps, and also beyond? What, what is there anything already mapped out beyond Tranche 2? So there are some larger projects that I think Lansing Core will be subsumed in over time. Uh, I'm afraid I, uh, I don't feel I can speak for the Commonwealth as to their strategy on those projects, but um, Lansing Core is, is a substantial modernization. If I was to look at uh, the state of the previous Lansing system, I mean, that had, a, I would say about 15 year life of type, you know. Yeah. So we expect to be, um, uh, we expect Lansing Core 3.0 yeah. to be fairly uh, fairly far down the track. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we, we expect this will keep us busy for, for quite some time. So obviously lots of work here for AVS with Defence here in Australia. What, are you able to tell us what else is going on or is this taking all your bandwidth? No, well, I mean, for those of you that are in attendance at Avalon that have come by, you would have seen um, our Apache uh, Collective Trainer Concept Demonstrator on the stand. Um, so there's some really interesting um, projects coming down the pipeline in terms of Army Aviation, uh, Land 400, uh, we've got Phase 3 uh, yet to be decided. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's a whole range of very interesting platform acquisitions. So we expect to, again, play a role uh, as the Lansim Core, uh, as the common simulation software prime to assist vendors but um, the trading system side of the business is not slowing down um, and we look forward to continuing to deliver simulation-based training systems to Army um, and uh, you know, going beyond, uh, perhaps international. Uh, we've had a lot of interest in our in-service systems and maybe in branching out to the air and naval domain. Fantastic. Anything else you'd like to tell us while we're here? Uh, to anybody uh, who wants more information on Lansing Corps, reach out to us, reach out to us through the website. We're more than happy to sit down with you and discuss um, the project 
and similarly direct you to the uh, to the project office if we can't answer the questions. Fantastic, and I suspect the queues on the public days are going to be twice around the exhibition floor to fly the uh, sim. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. You've, the queues have been huge just during trade days. Once once the general public's here, it's going to be whoopee! It moves. I think so yeah, it's going to be worn down to a nub uh, by Sunday. Yeah. Well, thanks very much for your time, mate. Thanks very much, Grant. John Fry, welcome to the show. Thanks, Grant. How are you? Yeah, not too bad today. It's been a, an incredible show. Are you finding that uh, Avalon's going well for Kongsberg? Yeah, I think it's been a great show. Um, definitely, I'd say it's been our best ever. Yep. There's, a, there's a great buzz to the uh, to Avalon this year. I think it's been uh, four years is a long break, and I think everyone's happy to be back at uh, they say back in our show. <laughs> That's the truth. So, mate, uh, let's start off with a quick overview of yourself. Uh, let's talk about Kongsberg, the global company, and Kongsberg Defence Australia. Okay. So, if you can give us those overviews of yourself and those. Sure. So, um, I joined Kongsberg in 2019 when, uh, well, I suppose we established a landed company here. Uh, really back on the base of the NASAMS program. Uh, I joined uh, Kongsberg from Raytheon, Australia. I spent nine years there working a number of programs across uh, ground-based air defence and, and weapons. Uh, and I was the capture lead for the NASAMS program while I was there. Uh, prior to that, I had a few years uh, in consulting and other places, and I was actually 13 years in the Army as a ground-based air defence officer. So, so my background is air yep. defence, so I'm quite passionate about the, yeah, uh, right the NASAMS capability that's coming into service with the Army. So. Well, we'll yeah. get to NASAMS in just a sec because I really want to hear about that. But uh, let's talk about uh, Kongsberg and the Australian Army. Yeah, so Kongsberg is a uh, Norwegian defence company. Uh, so Kongsberg Defence and Aerospace is part of the Kongsberg Group. Kongsberg Defence and Aerospace is about 4,000 people globally. Uh, it's a growing business. Bunch of technology areas, uh, but you know, I suppose probably pretty much well known for their work on uh, precision strike missiles with our naval strike missile, joint strike missile, ground-based air defence with the NASAM system. We do submarine combat systems, we do vehicle combat systems, and uh, and we do a lot of F-35 components as well. As Norway is a F-35 partner, and so uh, we are essentially the Norwegian, uh, I suppose, key partner for the uh, production of F-35 components as well. Fantastic. Okay, and uh, here in Australia, you're doing NASAMS, uh, you've got a number of other products, so, but I think we should probably start with NASAMS. Yeah. You've mentioned it quite a bit here, yeah. and uh, you know, I think it's very special to you because it's right back where you started with Army again, but now you're supplying the latest technology. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so NASAMS is a, a joint Raytheon Concord product. Um, it's been around for some time, um, and it's continued to evolve over the delivery to 13 different nations. And obviously the, the latest nation the system is, uh, has been deployed in is actually in Ukraine, uh, where it's operational today, um, after being provided into that country uh, in November last year through, uh, through the US government. Um, the Australian program itself, Raytheon Australia is a prime contractor. Um, so Kongsberg is, is the sub working with them. And from an Australian perspective, we are doing all the, Kongsberg Defence Australia is doing all our local hardware production here in country. So we've actually transferred a bunch of technology on that program, including the uh, building the fire distribution centres, um, which essentially is the heart and brains of the NASAMS capability. Um, we're also producing the classroom trainers and doing, uh, I suppose, final integration and assembly, the final assembly and integration, I should say, of the uh, canister launches as well. Okay, so uh, National Advanced Surface-to-Air Missile System, Correct. NASAMS. So there's 
a lot going on. What's the kind of ballpark range of defense? Uh, everyone talks range. Well, I, I don't know. It's, it's good to start with yeah, that because yeah. that, that gives it, I, don't, I know it's like, oh yeah, everyone talks range, but it, it, yeah. it gives everyone a perspective. Is this a, a close in? Is this a, a medium? Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah, I'd say it's, it's actually say it's an intermediate range. So in, a, in terms of, it's somewhere between short and medium. Yeah. Um, so it uses, uh, the Australian configuration will use two types of missiles. So the, the AMRAM, which is the, uh, the advanced medium range air to air missile, and the AIM-9X Block 2. Okay. So, uh, which is the Sidewinder missile. Yeah. So essentially the Sidewinder is more your short range mm -hmm. missile. AMRAM really pushes you out into that, the early part of the medium range spectrum yep. as well. So it's, um, and that's a complementary mix of IR and RF. Yeah, exactly. And it's actually the same weapons we're firing, obviously Super Hornet, or F-35 in an air-to-air roll, we just fire them from the ground. So do you have a booster to accelerate them up, or are other missiles sufficient straight so, off the No, they've obviously got their own rocket motor, yep. um, and obviously the range of an AMRAM launched from the ground is very different from the range of an AMRAM launched off an aircraft. Um, but no, they, uh, there's no modification at all to those weapons. They can literally be taken off the wingtip of an aircraft, slid onto the NASAM's launcher rail, and, and fired. Okay, so uh, I imagine this would be, you've set up a forward base, you have a central command post within, and a few batteries uh, around the, the exterior perimeter, ready to fire and look after the anything that's coming. Yeah, exactly. So the, so the fire distribution center itself is essentially the heart of the system. Mm -hmm. And once it's up and running, you know, the radars, the electroptic sensor, and the launchers are all commanded, essentially controlled by two guys. Yeah. And, uh, and and network a bunch of these fire units together to provide really extended area cover. Um, and it's again, it's a system that's been optimized for the defeat of you know, fixed wing aircraft, uh, rotary wing aircraft, but really are very effective against cruise missiles. And that's obviously been seeing that in Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, that's really about the, the uh, I suppose, the automated decision support that's actually embedded in the C4 to make, uh, to provide operators with rapid engagement decisions. Because as we know, these missiles are designed to fly low, pop up late, and you only have a very short uh, engagement yep. window to, to engage them. So exactly. And uh, you mentioned a lot of Australian components uh, that you're uh, integrating here in Australia. So are you able to give like a rough ballpark of Australian industry involvement, that being the buzzword? Yeah. Uh, and, and so how much of this is sustained, going to be sustained within Australia? And how yeah. much needs to go back overseas to? Yeah, so it's um, so from a fire distribution centre perspective, uh, I'd say the vast majority of that has been built locally. Um, there's some some screens that have come uh, have to come off from offshore, and uh, and some of the uh, I suppose some of the computers which come out of our uh, you know, specific to the to the system. But the vast majority of that system has been made locally, which I'm incredibly proud of. That yeah, very. Uh, and so we can pretty much know every nut, bolt, and screw on 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 those systems now. Um, every cable, etc., that's on that system has all been made uh, locally. So, um, so it's a significant amount of uh, of our scope, um, especially on the hardware side, has all been sourced. Yeah. Uh, and I think we're in a position now with the sustainment contract. So, Concrete Defence Australia is now actually has a support contract with Raytheon Australia for providing that local support. So we're the front line for support and supported by our Norwegian parent. Yep. So that's um, a good position to be. Yeah, and it also means it's faster turnaround on getting things sorted. Uh, absolutely. It's much easier to get your uh, accreditation sorted out because it was all made locally. People can come and look at it. Yeah, de definitely. If we have an issue, we can go down the road to Darramont yep. or Red Arc, who've done a bunch of that power supplies. Hey, you know, yep. ILEX for our cables, 
and we can yeah we can get repairs done quite quickly without having to go offshore. So Fantastic. That's a genuine sovereign capability for support. Yeah, no, that is good. That yeah. is very good. Uh, the last thing you want is to have to ship a whole unit off, get it repaired, bring it back, and what do you do in the meantime? Exactly. Yeah, uh, especially if they're being barricaded, blockaded, etc. Definitely. Yeah. So, okay, is there anything else you want to talk about, Masons, before we move on to the next? Uh, the next no, just that obviously that program. We're, we're a fair way through the production, yep. um, so I think it's going to be a fairly exciting year for that program moving forward, and it's that to get closer to getting the kit into the hands of the soldiers and starting the the, uh, the training aspect. So I know that um, you know Rathen and Confer are working very hard on. Uh, getting that capability up and running, yep. which will, uh, and, yeah, it's all looking very positive. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of effort in the training and making sure everyone knows what to do and then on it goes. It's, so. it's a step changing capability oh, for yeah. Army, and, uh, but I think they're, um, they're very gonna welcome. They're going to love it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so moving on, the next item is uh, that we want to talk about is Strike Master. Uh, yeah. I grew up with Strike Masters in New Zealand, completely yeah, different. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the old Bronte's. Yeah, yeah. Um, so these are land-based, portable, on a vehicle, take out a ship kind of missiles. Yep. Uh, definitely medium and slightly long range when you hear about that. So can you tell us about the Strike Master? Yeah, sure. So I suppose personally, um, so Con the Naval Strike Missile from Kongsberg uh, can be can be deck launched from a ship or it can be obviously vehicle launched as well. Um, so we actually have a coastal defence system. Uh, we actually use the same C4 architecture that's in NASAM. Um, if it that's works, been, that's, yeah. been, that's been adopted, obviously running different software. Um, we do about obviously uh, maritime strike rather than ground-based air defence. But um, we've actually filtered that system into Poland um, and uh, the US Marine Corps are now also building a naval strike missile-based land-based maritime strike capability also. So what Strike Master is really is it's a new a new launch platform for an existing system. Um, so it uses a missile that we have that's actually coming into service now with the ADF through the Navy. Um, and essentially it's a yeah it's a twin pack on the back of a Bushmaster. Um, again the from an engineering perspective it's pretty much yeah. Yeah, there's, yeah we're delivering a twin pack system on another another program and um, yeah, I think it's something that provides a strike option that's going to be available um, as an option to increase our strike capability in a very short time frame. So it's very portable, so you could do the same kind of thing as some of the other portable systems, get it out there in an aircraft, have it drive somewhere, launch, drive somewhere else very quickly so it's not a target anywhere, launch again, then get out. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. So that's the, I think, the real advantage of yep. going on a landing craft, you can put that into an island or a, yep. somewhere on the mainland. and. Uh, yeah, with a range of the NSM of you know 250 kilometres, that's a significant amount of uh, volume of, uh, yeah. of waterway. And again, NSM is also a land attack weapon as well. So if you <laughs> need it to, it can you can fly something over the land as well. But um, yeah, it's a, I think it's a great capability, and again, entirely consistent with what our partners are doing in the region. And it's got it's got its uh, intelligence geared towards finding ship signatures and things like that, and identifying them and clutter and uh, like you. Because countermeasures on ships are huge now, so breaking through all that. It's a very smart missile, is probably what I'll firstly say. It uh, has the ability to uh, recognise targets down to ship class, yep. so you can tell this missile exactly what type of ship it needs to uh, to target. Yep. And um, and it's been designed to operate in, in a, I suppose, in a very contested environment, and uh, has a lot of ability to uh, to make sure it actually makes and actually gets through to the target. So. Uh, yep. And that's building on the Naval Strike Missile, the NSM, yep. which is now also available -da, inside an F-35's weapons bay. Well, well, it is, but it's a slightly modified one. So right. it's actually, uh, 
It's called the Joint Strike Missile, but, it, but its evolution was out of the Naval Strike Missile. Oh, okay, so it's actually the JSM that goes inside. It's the JSM that goes into the F-35. That's the J for Joint have, Strike Fighter. That's right. We, um, and obviously we have the NSM on the, on, coming in on the ships. Yeah, okay. Um, but for the JSM, essentially they started out with the NSM. Yeah. But they essentially had to, uh, we need a different body shape to be able yeah, to fit internally. Yeah, because it's going to fit inside that bay, and it's not huge. It's not huge, and it's, and it's quite tight once the, uh, they've taken all the available room. Um, <laughs> but they've designed a missile that does fit internally in there, and it actually will be the only you know, powered maritime strike, land attack, cruise missile available in the F-35A for internal carriage. So it's a, um, it's a pretty unique place to be in the market. Yeah, because the Americans didn't think they needed something like that. So Kongsberg was building it and then got it set for Norway's F-35s, if I'm getting this right. And now I think the Americans are interested in it again? Yeah, so I think, well, the Norwegians, um, you know, they were, they were obviously they moved away. They were going all, all F-35 fleet. They wanted, again, a maritime strike weapon for for their nation to operate in very complicated terrain against, you know, um, uh, you know to defeat, I suppose, Lots of fjords, lots yeah, of... Yeah, it's a compli- it's a complicated environment they work yeah. in. You know, blue water, but brown water. Yeah. Yeah, operate and in fjords, exactly. Lots where of people can, where people can hide. Yeah. Um, so they wanted a very smart missile. They want to be able to carry that internally because you're going to have a stealth aircraft. You really want to keep it stealthy and keep yeah. your weapons tucked in. <laughs> um, and uh, so that Norway, Norway actually uh, developed the requirement and have funded the development. And uh, I think now it's so unique in terms of Availability, then all other F-35 nations are now looking at uh, yeah. at JSM. Really, if you want to do maritime strike, then it's, uh, it's it should be the logical choice. Well, congratulations yeah. on that, and uh, with, if all goes well, I believe we'll uh, hopefully see JSM on uh, Australian F-35s. But well, I hope so. Yeah. so. Obviously, Australia hasn't decided what yeah. they're going to do yet. Um, the missile is still lost. The missile's ready. The, the, the I suppose it's going through final qualification on the F-35A. Um, that should be all sorted soon and uh, and you know I think Norway and Japan have already selected JSM I think there'll be a bunch of other countries that'll be doing the same thing uh, quite soon. We can but hope. We can but hope. <laughs> well is there anything else you'd like to say while we've got you uh, here? I think you know, probably the only other thing we're, we're super excited about the Naval Strike Missile acquisition for Navy um, so obviously uh, government signed a contract end of last year with Kongsberg to provide uh, Naval Strike Missiles on the Anzacs and the Hobart class missiles to replace Harpoon. Yep. Um, that's an accelerated program. Uh, we'll have sort of capability on on both of those platforms by the end of next year, which is a very aggressive time frame. And uh, but we're super, I suppose, motivated, excited about getting that done because we know it's a you know, it's a, a great capability. It's going to significantly increase the uh, the surface capability of, of those two vessels. So I think it's a a great thing. And like I said. Similar to, I suppose, some of our other key partners, the US, UK, Canada have all selected that weapon as well yeah. for their vessels. So, yeah. Good. All good. Well, John, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time Thanks, and man. it's been very informative. Awesome. No worries. Thank you very much. Well, thanks to Applied Virtual Simulations and also Kongsberg for their time. There was uh, great information there and some very interesting projects occurring here with Australian technology, um, Australian involvement, things like that. We're wrapping up here at the ADM stand for day three. If you're coming by the show on Friday, day four, or for the public days, day five and six, aka Saturday and Sunday, be sure to drop by the stand and pick up a magazine or two. But for now, we'll catch you on the next episode. The ADM podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Australian Defence Magazine, a Yaffa media title. 
The views of the people appearing on this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Australian Defence Magazine, the Department of Defence or the guest's employer. If you wish to use any of the audio in this podcast, please contact Australian Defence Magazine via their website, australiandefence.com.au or via email at defmag at yaffa.com.au. You've been listening to a Yaffa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.